Welcome to our live coverage from Los Angeles, California of Super Bowl 56 Media Week, a production of WSBU 88.3 The Buzz. You're listening to The Director's Cut with Tyler Smith and Nathan Solomon, live from the LA Convention Center in Los Angeles, California. This is the Director's Cut. Tyler Smith alongside Nathan Solomon here bringing you live coverage of Super Bowl 56 Radio Row. It's day three. I think today things are going to start heating up. Nate, you know, we had a a relatively quiet first day. Second day yesterday picked up pretty pretty fast, you know, right, right right in the heat of the moment. Things really started working for us got a lot of interviews uh, in the middle of the day yesterday and we had some great shows and I think today you know the trend can only go upward so uh, are you ready for the you know the home stretch of Super Bowl Media Week yeah absolutely big day today um, a lot of big names will, will be here a lot of current uh, or active NFL players will be will be around on the floor so be awesome if we could uh, if some of those guys could stop by uh, but obviously we had we had to go uh, had to go on air a little bit earlier yesterday because of the same bottom entry game unfortunately we couldn't really get some of those interviews that we did out in time uh, so today we have a we have a pretty jam-packed slate full of uh, some of the stuff we've done uh, yesterday and some of the stuff we've done today the absolutely and you know on tap today for the uh, latter half of the Rector's Cut we have two very special interviews uh, the ringer Staff writer Danny Kelly will be joining myself and former sports director Nick Roloff uh, for a, a quick interview. That's going to be a lot of fun. And then coming up after that would be will be former Cincinnati Bengal and host of the Believe in Bengals podcast, Solomon Wilcots. It's going to be a fun day. I think there's a lot to be learned and a lot to uh, see today. There's going to be some stars out, like you said, and uh, we can't wait to get in the mix. So we have another aspect of the game, big game to go over today and I think this is an interesting matchup it's not gonna happen within the numbers but it's gonna be happening across the sidelines and that's the head coaching matchup here Sean McVay of the Rams and Zach Taylor of the Bengals Zach Taylor in his second season Sean McVay in his fifth as Rams head coach meeting his second Super Bowl Zach Taylor it's his first go around here so that's gonna be a very interesting dynamic to see Zach Taylor obviously if you if you've known how the Rams have gone in the past few years. Zach Taylor was a quarterback's coach there, and he's technically on the Sean McVay coaching tree. So this is going to be a very interesting matchup to see two guys who know each other very well going and, and trying to out-strategize one another. Two offensive-minded head coaches uh, really are going to pack together a star-studded game. You know, p- Both gifted uh, guys in the passing game. Uh, Zach Taylor, a college quarterback, Sean McVay, a wide receiver. So it's it's going to be a real real cool dynamic to see these two uh, 
kind of trying to one-up each other in a, in a game of this magnitude. So, Nate, what, what are your initial thoughts on uh, the coaching matchup we have here? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, kind of just like what, what you said, I mean, um, Zach Taylor is a, is a disciple of Sean McVay. You know, not not like he's that old anyway. He's only 36 years old. He's so young. I believe this is the youngest coaching matchup in Super Bowl history. I, I honestly don't even have to check that number because both coaches are pretty – I'm pretty sure they're both under 40, and I don't think that's ever happened yeah, in un- NFL history. It's, that's unheard of. I mean, usually coaches are, you know, in their 50s, 60s, and kind of paid their dues of, you know, 20, 30 years as, as like, as assistants and everything. But, I mean, both guys really progressed through quickly. Obviously, McVay's been a – uh, been a head coach now for five years. He's, uh, being in the, in the big game here is something that's not new to him. This is his second appearance, like you said. Um, so uh, I think it's interesting when when you always have a matchup with, with two guys that have that same style. So um, younger guys usually, I, I guess, um, there aren't they aren't as afraid to, to take risks because the younger generation of football, uh, you have to be more aggressive to win games. And I mean, that's kind of like, you know, when you look at the Bengals, um, you know, they knew that they weren't going to beat the Kansas City Chiefs by playing conservative, especially in this, that second half. And I think that was kind of the same thing the, for the Buffalo Bills in their mindset. I mean, Sean McDermott, he's he's a younger coach in the league. Um, you know, his mindset was, you know, we we can't play, you know, you can't play conservative and beat the Kansas City Chiefs, or you know, you can't play conservative and make it to the Super Bowl. Um, so you know they made a lot of a uh, lot of aggressive plays there. They they didn't make as many late, and, and they ended up losing that game. But yeah, you know, kind of going back to my point though, just you know the younger guys, um, they're not afraid to, uh, um, to 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 do a riskier play call or, or run the ball on fourth and three or something like, or or, or even simply just going for it. So uh, it'll definitely be an exciting coaching matchup for sure. That's an interesting point you make up about going for it on fourth down. Both of these coaches, no strangers to using all four downs to really put together a scoring drive and you know you look at the matchup here Sean McVay um, I was doing a little bit of research on how his performances have fared against disciples of his and it's only been two but he is 0-2 against disciples of his it would be uh, two games against the Green Bay Packers and Matt LaFleur so that's going to be uh, an interesting dynamic he's gonna have to write the ship uh, also uh, hinging on that is his prior Super Bowl performance you know they didn't put up a touchdown and it was not the best opening showcase uh, as a Super Bowl head coach for Sean McVay, especially, like we said, the offensive mind that he is, couldn't put together any points against, well, a very staunch Bill Belichick Patriots defense in Super Bowl 53. So it's going to be very interesting to see how this all plays out. Um, I want to talk about Zach Taylor real quick because there were a lot of question marks uh, around him. Um, and he went from straight quarterbacks coach in L.A. to head coach, you know, usually – uh, typically, it's you know you you take the uh, a position group route and then you know you you advance to a coordinator and then you know you you're in that realm for about two maybe three years if 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 you're lucky and then you you know advance to that head coaching seat. Zach Taylor skipped the line and he is at the top now and you know, just once to, in his second season he's taken the Bengals to places that I promise you no person thought at the beginning of this season. I mean. The Bengals started three and two this year. I mean, there there was no indication that they would be a lock for the playoffs, a lock to win their division, or even dare I say, a lock to make the Super Bowl. No, they were not. They were looked at as a team that was drafting the top six last year, passed on an offensive tackle, which was much to the dismay of pundits and sports media people around the world. They were they were clamoring for Panay Sewell. Panay Sewell in the uh, NFL draft last year, obviously Jamar Chase showing up with the black and orange shoes, reuniting with his former LSU quarterback Joe Burrow, and the rest has been history. But, hey, there's a lot more history to be made with those two and Zach Taylor's reign in Cincinnati. Seems like he has a a decent amount of job security now that he's made the big game in just his second season. But, like I said, there were massive questions, even at the beginning of this season, talking about his play calling and his lack of aggressiveness. You You were talking about how the younger generation of coaches really is not afraid to take the big risk. That's kind of how Zach Taylor has evolved over this season. You know, the beginning of this season, last season, it was really a run-heavy offense. They were trying to get Joe Burrow really accustomed to that NFL pace of play, and you know, they were trying to make things easy on him. They didn't know they didn't know what Burrow's ceiling could be coming out of college because he was such an older um, draftee, and now that he's you know, ascended into that top five quarterback conversation. It makes Zach Zach Taylor's job a lot easier. It gives him the leeway to call these aggressive plays, throw the ball down the field because he has confidence in his quarterback. And I think that's been a really great revelation for these Bengals. And it's probably the reason that they're in this game. Yeah, and 
you know, everyone kind of counted out the Bengals, you know, even, even when they got off to such a good start. I mean, even maybe some of us, like, you know, they started off 5-2 and two after a, a very convincing win over the Baltimore Ravens, who at that time, they were still playing pretty well, and they were, I guess, relatively healthy. I mean, obviously, they had injury issues all season, and, and they kind of didn't maximize their potential, but, but that's when they were playing some of their best football all year. And... Um, I, then you know Halloween they kind of, they go into a, a matchup with the New York Jets. I think you know that's a game that we were all say like, oh, that's a trap game. Like, um, you know, Jets Jets are gonna win you on know, the road. So, yep. Sort of jokingly, sort of not. And, and the Jets, they, they you know they go out there and, and they beat them. Like, and every, I think everybody thought that that kind of be end game for the Bengals right there. Now that was a Mike White game, right? That was the Mike White game. Wow. But I think af- at that point everybody kind of counted them out. You know, everyone looked at their schedule like, oh, Las Vegas, they got off to a great start. Um, that's probably going to be a loss. You know, the Chargers, they're going to be an 11-win pl- uh, playoff team. That's a loss, except they didn't even make the playoffs. Um, San Francisco, such a good defense. That's going to be another loss. Kansas City, Cleveland, to end the year, those are going to be losses. Like, and, and they proved everyone wrong. They won a lot of those games. They beat Kansas City in Week 17. They beat Baltimore again in Week 16. Um, you know, uh, a convincing win over Pittsburgh in Week 12. A convincing win over Las Vegas in Week 11. Like... Uh, you know, they they proved everyone wrong, and, and and again, a lot of that comes back to Zach Taylor. I mean, obviously, not a lot of people kind of really heard of him before this season, or, or or understood like the hiring or who he was and, and all of that. But uh, uh, people quickly learned after he brought a, a team where many people picked them to be last in the AFC at like two and fourteen, yes. even, even below like the Jaguars and the Jets, which is pretty crazy to think, uh, you know, and. Especially because of like you know Burrow's out last year with 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 his injuries and I was like oh you know he he's, he'll come back he'll struggle for a lot of the year but no I mean you know Zach Taylor he kind of um, you know he changed the dynamic in that locker room um, in one off season in, 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 yeah literally like they they were one of the worst teams in the league last year it's, it's, and, and nobody ever sees it turn around that quickly I mean you know your talent can't just improve that quickly overnight I mean a lot of it comes down to the coaching staff so kudos, kudos to Zach Taylor regardless of what happens in Sunday's game I mean he's done an incredible job there and he's only been there for a year Bengals finished four and 12 last season and it was really um, there were questions about Zach Taylor's longevity and you know a- ability to take this team to the next level and just in one off season he has done that and more so it- it's gonna be really interesting to see they we're talking about how conservative his his play calling was, and you know, n- n- somebody who we haven't had that issue with, you know, as far as calling conservative plays is is obviously Rams head coach Sean McVay. This guy has been a revolutionary offensive mind in the NFL. Runs a, a great West Coast slash spread offense uh, with this LA Rams team, and he not only does he incorporate his stars, and that that that's that's a real big talking point uh, about coaching the NFL is using your stars. Cooper Cup, obviously, this year has been used to his max potential. Uh, if the guy did any more, then he'd be labeled as a top-five receiver of all time, right? I mean, he's had the statistically second-best overall wide receiver season in an entire in NFL history. I know there were 17 games, and he played all 17, but, again, the season he had was revolutionary. And Sean McVay, is a, uh, I think Sean McVay sees a lot of himself uh, in, in Cooper Cup uh, as a, you know, not, not a super physically imposing wide receiver but you know the guy who can see the field really well and 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 look down and and be able to find the holes in the defense and that's not only what Cooper Cup does but that's what Sean McVay designs his play calls to do I mean we we talked about it a few days ago Cooper Cup basically has five five feet of separation from uh, an opposing defender when he catches the ball I think that a lot of that has to go towards his ability to make cuts and, and find find the hole in the defense. But Sean McVay is putting him in the position to do so. And, you know, you see, as he progresses through this league, he kind of takes his mistakes and corrects them, finds a new way to adapt that mistake and use it to his, to, to his advantage. So Sean McVay obviously needs to avenge uh, a massive Super Bowl loss just a few years ago. And it, it was probably something that he thinks about all the time. The fact that he couldn't put up a touchdown in that game is something that probably keeps him up at night. And this this time around, I, I don't have a hard time believing that they'll find the end zone. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that offense has vastly improved, really, since since the last time they are in the Super Bowl. And it, comes, it really just comes down to Matthew Stafford, really. I mean, um you know the quarterback play has improved so much. I mean, Jared Goff is a uh, 
he, he was a, a mediocre quarterback at at best. Um, now they now they have a, a quarterback who, in my opinion, has has top ten talent. Is a at least a borderline elite quarterback. Obviously, like you said, Cooper Cup, one of the best wide receivers, is not the best wide receiver in the league, and, and a great compliment right there. And and, and Odell and Odell Beckham Jr. Um, you know, just imagine how how lethal that wide receiver do um, that ri- wide receiver room would be if if Robert Woods was healthy too. Like, I mean, it's crazy to think that that they're doing so you know accomplishing this much on the offensive end without uh the guy that's you know been one of the best wide receivers of the last years in Robert Woods so with all that and Cam Akers running the ball you know he's he's ran the ball really well so far in this postseason um you know they have a really good uh, a really good offensive combination so I feel like they'll be able to put up uh more more than uh just a few points yeah absolutely on, on Sunday absolutely and you know you talk about Cam Akers ability to run the ball and how he's kind of really progressed so quickly since an Achilles injury last season. Now, what I wanted to, what I want to ask you next is what how do you think the coaching staffs uh, on each side are going to incorporate the run game because both of these defenses have been very successful in the postseason at stopping the run. Obviously, the Rams need the Rams defensive line needs no introduction. Uh, Cincinnati's obviously you lose Larry Ogunjobi, which is a, a a pretty tough loss for the middle of that defensive line. But you know they held Derrick Henry to under 60 yards. They held Josh Jacobs to a, a decent day. I mean the Raiders ran him to the into the ground, so he didn't have, but he he didn't eclipse the century mark. And then you know last week, obviously the, K, the Kansas City Chiefs aren't a run heavy team, but whenever they did. The Bengals were there to stop it. So, I mean, the Rams, obviously, their offensive lines, we, we, we make no mistake, the Rams' offensive line is better than Cincinnati's. They're going to have an easier time running the ball, I would assume. But how do you think each coach is going to incorporate the run game because of these, the talent of these two quarterbacks and their ability to push the ball downfield? Is this going to be uh, a methodical approach to, to the game, or, or is this going to be a straight shootout? I think both. Like, you know, it's going to kind of be a methodical approach. I mean, Run opens up the pass. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, I think you'll see, you know, someone like Cam Akers for the Rams, and, you know, he'll run the ball a lot on those short yardage plays. I mean, he's not a guy who's can really break off for, you know, 50, 60-yard runs all we, the time. We haven't seen it yet. Um, so, you know, I feel like he'll use a lot in, in short in short yardage situations or, or just to set up, like, you know, maybe like a third and six or something, like if you're, you know, at the second and ten. I don't know. But, um... You know, they'll use it to set up the pass. The, the Bengals, you know, Joe Mixon's uh, one of the better running backs in the league. I can kind of see him, um, you know, getting a little bit more of a workload compared to someone like Cam Makers, just um, in the sense of, of, I guess, importance of, of, of snaps and importance of, of running the ball. Like, I think, you know, you might see some mid-yardage situations where, uh, where, where Mixon's running the ball where uh, kind of on the Ram side of things they might pass it to, to someone like to Cup or OBJ. Um, you know, I I think the Rams they might run the ball more, um, but but the Bengals when they run the ball I think it'll be kind of in, in, in more important situations. I I agree I agree and and it's no secret that they probably have the more talented running back at the at the moment in Joe Mixon I think he's had a obviously a more consistent season. K Makers only came back a few weeks ago, but he's been an every down back and he's carried the the running load there. Obviously, you have Samaj P. Ryan in there as well, but he's more of a, a pass catcher, not, not not really an in-between-the-tackles type of guy. Joe Mixon's been that guy for the Bengals, but, hey, the Rams obviously have that staunch defensive line, and it's going to be tough for especially the Cincinnati O-line to push them you know, forward and, and, and back into that second level of the defense. So it, it's really going to be interesting to see how these two teams incorporate the run. We know that the two quarterbacks uh, playing are going to be slinging that ball down the field both of them like to take risks and that's what's going to be the, the fun of this game both coaches have creative offensive schemes and neither of them are afraid to take risk either like you said both very young the youngest matchup in co- Super Bowl coaching history so very interested to see how this one plays out I think you know Sean McVay obviously he's been here before he knows the ropes but he didn't perform on the biggest stage last time out. I think he has a little bit more to gain than Zach Taylor here. But, hey, Zach Taylor's the odds-on betting favorite for Coach of the Year right now. He's hot. He's got this team playing for him, and they're ready to, to, to shock the world for the fourth week in a row. I mean, I think Cincinnati it has been looked, at, looked down upon uh, as of late. I think in the past week or so, though, people have come around to the Joe Burrow hype train, and they're, they're like, Hey, I mean, if they've gotten this far, why can't they win one more? The Rams 
The, the Rams have something else to say about that, though, because their roster is talented and their coach is experienced. Absolutely, absolutely. Now, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, the Ringers, Danny Kelly, staff writer, former editor-in-chief of Field Goals at SB Nation. That's my Seahawks affiliate. Stay tuned for the Director's Cut with Nathan Salomon and Tyler Smith on WSBU 88.3 The Buzz, live from Super Bowl Radio Row in Los Angeles, California. Oshuni goes long, and that's it. St. Bonaventure wins the Atlantic 10 Tournament. It's a body party. 88.3 The Buzz. Welcome back into the Director's Cut Live on 88.3 The Buzz from Super Bowl Radio Row in Los Angeles, California. Joining me alongside Nick Roloff is Danny Kelly, staff writer for The Ringer. Danny, how are you? I'm doing well. How are you guys doing? I'm doing great. It's really exciting. You know, the week's kind of heating up now. It's Wednesday. Yep. And uh, we're really get ready to get rocking and rolling. And we're happy to have you on for uh, The Director's Cut today. Yeah, thanks. Appreciate so, it. I want to kick things off for those who are uh, unaware. You know, you started off actually as a business student in, in college, correct? <laughs> yeah, I, I was a business major in college. I didn't really know what I wanted to do, so that was just kind of like one general thing that I could yeah. probably do a lot of stuff with. Um, and I got into the legal industry for a while doing, like, litigation sport for, like, five or six, seven years or whatever it was. And then I kind of transitioned into sports writing. So, yeah. Yeah, so uh, when you did transition into sports writing, you'd be, you're, based, you're Seattle-based, mm -hmm. and uh, you started writing for SB Nation, the field goals uh portion of the SB yep. Nation. So uh, kind of talk about you know your, your, your rise through there and mm -hmm. how you've arrived now at the Ringer. Yeah, so I started out, um, it was kind of just lucky, every all like the timing of everything. I uh, The field goals editor slash main writer guy quit at the time. I was just starting to do uh, Seahawks writing, so I kind of just fell into that and uh, just built up the staff there. And, and obviously a lot of it was just like guys that wanted to get involved for free. We didn't have a very big budget, so it was basically just, you know, trying to find guys that would do like one column about something they're passionate about and so I kind of just like um, built the site staff that way and um, and then I started to do a whole bunch of uh, other stuff for SB Nation proper like the main website like draft stuff um, NFL wide stuff I started doing social media stuff for them this is over the course of about five years so um, I just kept asking for more stuff to do and eventually um, kind of just worked my way up the the ladder there and that's just kind of how it worked and then um, having to land at the ringer after that Awesome, awesome. Well, you know, you talk about how you built that staff and you were writing for the Seahawks for about five years. Uh, I kind of want to get into this this off season that we're going on. If, yeah. For for those who are who are listening, uh, they know that I'm I'm a big avid Seahawks fan, and uh, it's been a, it's been a tough season uh, yeah. this past yeah. year. Uh, we have had a multitude of success over the last decade, and it's kind of all crashing down in, in this in this past season. So yeah. We were approaching this offseason, you know, dis disappointing, missing the playoffs, uh, Russell Wilson's first losing record. And now they're sitting at the eighth most cap space uh, in mm -hmm. the NFL, th about $36 million. Where do you think uh, GM John Schneider sh will go or and where he should go, in your opinion? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, – so, and Pete Carroll's talked about this, at, like, after the season's over there. It's going to go quicker, the, the cap space that they have. It's going to go quicker than you think just because they have to re-sign some guys. They got, like, basically all their – players in the secondary or free agents yeah. they got Dwayne Brown to figure out and I think they need to re-sign him just get the left tackle uh, position taken care of and this is all assuming of course that Russell Wilson is back oh we'll get we'll get to that which I think if if he doesn't return then obviously your priorities probably change and then you want to get younger and and so there's like this inflection point in the end in during the offseason where they're gonna have to figure out Russell Wilson but I would say like assuming he is back um there's a quite a bit of free agents that I'm sure that they want to bring back. Obviously, Dwayne Brown was one. Um, they're going to have to make a decision on Rashad Penny, which I think is very intriguing. And I actually very. am on the bring him back. I'm on train. the bring him back train too. <laughs> There's no yeah. guarantee that you're getting a full 16 game season or 17 game season now out of yeah. Chris Carson. So yeah, exactly. And honestly, the way that he runs um, is a really good compliment to Carson. Say Carson comes back. Um, you know, Penny is like the explosive run creator. Yep. Uh, Chris Carson is like the banger, the guy that can like break tackles and, and sort of be the foundational um, early down back, and then you get Penny involved. It's like a one-two punch I think would be really perfect, actually. And so you can kind of see the vision, and obviously I, I know that John Schneider has been panned throughout the whole time that Penny's been here just because he's been hurt basically the entire time. But you can finally see the vision for what they had, uh, why they picked him in the first round, you know, why they liked him so much. The explosive play potential is there. Um, 
he became a player at the end of the season where I was like, I want to see this guy run. Like, I can't wait. I just wanted to hand it off to him, and I'm not, I've am not. i not been like He was that. the bright spot to, on <laughs> yeah. the whole stretch of the season, so yeah. that was really fun. Um, so I think that's going to be a key decision, and I honestly don't really think it's going to be that expensive to bring him back. It shouldn't be. I mean, he yeah. was really coming along at the end of the season, but he hasn't had the longevity to exactly. really you know, constitute a big contract. Now, you, you mentioned also uh, Russ... I just want to get your opinion on it. I'm sure you don't know <laughs> the ins and outs uh, of, of what the deal is, but I'm hearing something new every week. Yeah. You know, Last week it's, oh, I'm here committed. I'm playing every game of my career here. And then the next it's like, oh, I'm open to playing for the, the commanders. Right. So what's, what's the deal? What's your, what are your thoughts on how this uh, changing narrative keeps coming around? I don't know, honestly. I think, I think there's certainly some truth to all these rooms. So it's like the if there's smoke, there's some fire somewhere. It's yep. kind of deal. Like I think that he wants to, you know, have some agency in the way that they build this team, the way that they go about free agency, the way that they scheme and you know run their offense going forward. And I don't think that necessarily means that they just want to be um, throwing a ton. I, I actually don't think he's like necessarily 100% on that train. Like I want to be throwing, 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 throwing. I think we he saw late in the season how that balance with Penny and how they can create explosive plays on the ground. As long as they can keep doing that, I think he's fine. But I do think he just, you know, he's in the part of his career where he needs to be on a, like, a Super Bowl-caliber team. That's how he feels. And I think he, if the Seahawks aren't looking like they're going in that direction, then maybe he kind of asserts some of his uh, some some of his leverage and, and tries to, you know, get a trade or at least fake getting a trade and then use that to get, like, more free agents and, like, win-now stuff happening. So um, I think that's what it is more is just, like, it. You know, asserting some leverage to have the team being built and uh, like ev- all the holes addressed in this offseason. I think the biggest thing is the, is the offensive line. Like if he can get the offensive line fixed and and spend some good money there and like bring in big name free agents and instead of trying to patch it with like four guys like they've done over the last few years, yeah. bring in like one elite guy and like that can like make a big difference on their line. So that's what I think is happening. I agree, and if the day the day Russell Wilson says he wants out will be the worst day of my life since February first, twenty fifteen. So, uh, <laughs> what happened that day? Oh, I don't know. Some, <laughs> actually, this guy had a really good day that day. So, oh yeah, um, yeah. Patriots fan. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, Danny, as obviously the draft analyst for the Ringer, uh, many people have said there's a weak quarterback class or mm-hmm. weak quarterback class, which kind of insinuates some in some people's belief it's a weak draft class, which I find very incorrect. What do you see? Uh, how do you view this season's draft class? I think it's, it's weak is such a general term. I think it's not a top-heavy class. So I think like the top ten maybe doesn't have the same level of like blue chip, blue chip caliber player as some seasons past. But I think it's really deep. There's going to be a lot of guys in the second round. I think that normally would be like when I was putting Taylor in my top 30, thirty-two, for instance. Like there was about thirty guys that could have filled out the lot the last like five spots on my list. So there's, it's really deep class. Um, so it's hard to make that cutoff just 32. So I'm looking forward to like expanding the list and going to the top 50, top 100. Um, so yeah, I would say like the the receiver position I think is deep. I think there's a lot of really interesting running backs in this class. Um, you know, obviously like there's a couple really good corners, a lot of pass rushers. So I think it's a good class overall. Um, it's just not the elite, elite blue chip type players at the very top, which I think is like sort of changing the narrative on like the type of class this is. And of course. The quarterbacks not being an elite group of quarterbacks is, is sort of, I think, shaping that narrative too. Yeah, staying on that quarterback class, there's been a lot of disparity, and no one really has – there's no consensus of who the top five is. And looking yeah. at your yeah. 32 that was just released a week ago, you had Desmond Ritter as your quarterback too. Mm-hmm. Uh, what do you think makes him uh, one of the top quarterbacks in this class? Yeah, I think he's such an interesting one, too, because there's some people that have him really low. You know, they don't think he's going to be a good pro. They think he'll be, like, a backup-type guy. And, you know, I just think it's projecting a guy to the next level is so difficult. What I really like about Ritter is he's experienced. And I actually comped him to Daniel Jones, but in a good way. And I think just, like, the idea of, like, the good traits that Daniel Jones brings, like athleticism, um, accuracy down the field. And I know that his accuracy is a little hit or miss, but I do think that once he kind of gets it and finds a rhythm, like, it, it is pretty good accuracy. Um and then just polish and experience. Obviously, he's got a bunch of starts under his belt. Um, you know, I just think that the traits are there, the tools are there, and he, he has, like, in terms of the total package, I think he's more well-rounded than most of the quarterbacks in this class. I think Willis has, like, more upside because he's really, really athletic, really, really fast, and the things that they could do in, like, a running offense, like a built around the quarterback is really interesting. Um, but, like, if you, if you compare the traits of, like, Pickett versus Ritter, I think Ritter has better physical traits. So... Um, I, I just think, like, 
a lot of these quarterbacks are probably going to be like later second or later in the first round or early second round type picks. Um, you might have a couple guys sneak into the top ten, maybe Willis or or Pickett here. But um, I think there's definitely some guys in this class, and Ritter is one of them that can develop into a quarterback if you have the right situation. And honestly, maybe this is going to be like a good thing because these guys land on better teams because they're not top ten picks. So that could be like actually good for these guys' career. It's it's one of those things where landing spot is so important so if you land on a team that's in the in the back half of the first round they're more built to uh to like have a, a rookie guy come in and like succeed yeah another class i want to look at is the wide receiver class i very deep i believe in this mm-hmm. this season and your wide receiver one and this is Traylon burks who you said shades of devo samuel with a power of mushroom <laughs> uh what made you uh think he is the top because a lot of people think it's either one of the wide receivers from, uh, from Ohio State or yep. Drake London, and it would have probably maybe been Jamison Williams without the injury, right. but what do you think stands out for Burks? I think, and again, this is like the same exact deal with the quarterback. It's it's sort of like vibes picks, like the, the top five guys. It's like what what vibes are you looking for? Do you want What kind of player do you want? Like I picked Burks because there are just so few things that like I can look on and say like this is something that worries me. Like he's big, extremely athletic, extremely fast, extremely productive, um, he has like the the pedigree, like a former you know big time recruit type guy, all that stuff, um, and just the upside to me is there. And, and so I think like if you're grouping these guys together, I just think it's the combination of size, speed, production, all that stuff. Um, but I really like you know Garrett Wilson. I really like Drake London. I think there's just a lot of different styles of guys in here. And Jamison Williams, another one that's like the top deep threat in this class, like gonna take the top off of defense. So. Um, I just went Burks, I think, just because of um, the total package and the total upside. But I know that some guys have him like wide receiver five, wide receiver six, and that's just, I think, a great microcosm for this entire class. Like no one has any consensus, it seems like, on pretty much any position and, and so far. So, um, and then even when you get into the second, third round, there's a lot of guys I think could end up being, you know, top guys in the NFL, like really good players. So this this receiver class is super exciting and i do a lot of fantasy stuff so i'm, I'm super excited about this receiver class so speaking of that you know, yeah. you're, you're the ringers resident fantasy guy as well uh how many first of all i want to ask you how many leagues were in this were, were you in this year <laughs> and uh, how many did you actually end up winning so i won one league it was like a weird playoffs i don't know if you guys play fantasy but like uh-huh. i felt like there was a lot of it's like this it's actually like the real playoffs this year like a oh. lot of cinderella story type plays like a lot of like the big name fantasy guys in the playoffs kind of like drifted away and didn't really uh live up to what they probably should have so um i only ended up one, winning one league but i was in like if you count all the different leagues i was in it was 22 oh but i was my in i was goodness. in i was in three championships i lost two unfortunately um but overall it was like a so-so season but um i'll, I'll take at least one now how do you manage all those uh yeah, fans right? teams because yeah. i am i was in five this year which was my most ever and yeah. it was difficult for for me so how do you do it? it's it's a lot and and so a lot of, so i think there's like 12 of those or 13 of those are dynasty leagues so there's less waiver wire stuff to worry about week yeah. in and week out it's like if there's maybe like a couple guys to like keep an eye on but um so that makes it a little easier there's a little less um attention need to be paid during the week and i think i'm only in like three redraft leagues so okay that's you know those leagues are definitely more labor intensive during the year so i try and limit like i don't want to have like a whole bunch of those because then i'm just not going to do well in any of them it's kind of like master of none type deal um so yeah that's kind of how i do it how do you watch nfl sunday and like have 22 teams where you're (laughs) probably have repeat players and then guys you're playing against that you have on another team and how how does that even work you're never going to be happy watching red zone all day yeah my so i do a fantasy pod with the ringer and my two co-hosts are always just pissed at me because i'm basically like i'm just rooting for everybody to do well (laughs) i just want everybody to do well because for points (laughs) honestly like yeah i just root for like offense and like everybody to score a lot of points everybody get a lot of yards because odds are i've got either the quarterback running back or the receiver <laughs> yeah. for that team i know a lot of people probably look at that and be like that's a stupid way to play but um it actually it, i don't i personally don't like rooting against players i think that's so stressful it's like it is stop throwing to that guy <laughs> like i hate that feeling like imagine going against cooper cup like oh yeah it wasn't fun it's insanely frustrating league. yeah and so like i don't like that feeling so i try and set myself up to not have to do that really um so that's probably, you know, some people probably think that's stupid, but that's just kind of the way I approach it. And 
before we let you go, obviously we're here for a reason. Behind yeah. us is Matt Stafford and Joe Burrow. Uh, Rams, Bengals. Uh, I just want to get your pick if, if you have it or if yeah. you reveal it on the ringer. I don't know if you're willing to share. Uh, no, I've already shared it. Um, oh. I'm going with the Rams okay. just because, um, I don't know, I've, all, I've been on the Stafford train all season. I, I thought it was an excellent trade for them. I, it, like As a Seahawks fan, it made me really nervous. I was the, like, the division's so competitive. Yeah, now. I was like, damn it. Like they, they got Obviously, the, the bump from Goff to Stafford, I think, is a big one. Now, people are going to argue – you know, back and forth whether Stafford is an elite guy. I don't really care. I think he what he can do in this offense, the way that he can um, go through his progressions, the way that he can open up things vertically for them, is is really key. And and I'm worried about the Bengals' ability to like score points, move the ball against the de- against this front. Um, you know, we've seen them sort of overcome that deficiency in these playoffs against the Titans, um, obviously against the Chiefs. But I don't know the Chiefs like fell apart in that second half and I don't know if we can see the Rams doing that in the same way so um, that's kind of like why I'm going with that I think that Aaron Donald Von Miller thing is going to be really really tough for the Bengals and the Titans and the Chiefs didn't have an Aaron Donald or Von Miller yeah so I I, that's what I'm worried about I love Burrow I actually really like the Bengals and I I was super excited to see them get to the Super Bowl but I, I have to make a pick so I'm going to go with the Rams. I think the Rams is a don't overthink it pick, to be, Kinda, honest, yeah, to be quite exactly. honest. But, uh, Danny, thank you so much for coming on the on, on the show. We really appreciated having you. Um, Nick Roloff, Tyler Smith, this is the director's cut. And uh, we'll, we'll see you soon. Stay tuned for the break. We'll be having Solomon Wilcots on later in the show. And stick with us. You're listening to WSBU 88.3 The Buzz, live from Super Bowl Radio Row in Los Angeles, California. <laughs> The Buzz. Beautiful morning, you're the sun of my morning, babe. Nothing in the Welcome back into the Director's Cut with Tyler Smith and Nathan Salomon, live from Super Bowl Radio Row in Los Angeles, California. Nate, we're going to take a quick segue here from our interview with Danny Kelly into Solomon Wilcox, and we're going to talk about a couple of Really creative prop bets. You know, we talked about it before. There's so much you can bet on in the Super Bowl, not only on the field but off the field before halftime and even you know towards the end of the game, as as far as maybe a potential Gatorade bath would go. But we're gonna go through a quick couple of categories here uh, as the top Super Bowl 56 novelty prop bets. You know, these aren't the ones we'll see on the field. Not no uh, no player props, no yardages, no touchdowns. We're gonna see nothing game related. Nothing game related. We're gonna go through. We're gonna go through the novelties here and uh, see see what's going on outside the game. Now, to start off, this is for the opening coin toss. Everybody, you know, whether whether you're placing a wager on it, which is literally a coin flip, or you know, you're filling out uh, a couple of checking boxes and you, you got a little competition going on. There's some. Uh, there's all odds to it. Well, on Caesar Sportsbook, it's a hundred. It's plus a hundred odds. So you're getting even even money for. Heads or tails, so that that's probably where you want to be putting your money if you if if you're going to be betting on the coin flip. You don't have to lay any juice anywhere. But this is a really interesting one right here. Plus three seventy five, you get three three point seven five to one odds if the team that wins the toss elects to receive. Now I don't think that's going to happen. Minus five hundred if the team defers. Everyone defers now. Everyone defers now. Nobody ever receives first. But hey, Rams, they're an aggressive offensive team. Joe Burrow, full of swagger. I could see that. I mean, it's probably unlikely, but there's there's a chance that one of these teams wants to get their offense out and firing early. Hey, minus 500 is too risky to put money on. Oh, there. way I too mean, risky. So if you're going to put money, you got to put it on plus 375. Yep. I think those are actually pretty reasonable odds for that. I mean, it, it happens once in a while. Like you said, a couple couple aggressive teams there, those younger coaches like we talked about earlier. Exactly. Uh, I could see it. Uh huh. And you know we'll, we'll segue after that. Now this is the national anthem. Mickey Guyton, country singer. She'll be she'll be uh, performing this year's Star Spangled Banner. Over under. This is my favorite bet during the national anthem because it's so sweaty. You kind of waiting. You have a stopwatch out and see when she's gonna finish. And you know it, it always comes down to how long they're gonna say brave, right? Uh, at the end of the song. Uh, over and under 98 seconds. So that's uh, a little over a minute and a half. What are you thinking there? I'm taking the over. You know, country singers—they like to take their time with their words. Yep. Those, I guess, long, uh, long drawn-out accents. I guess uh, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go the over. You know. You know, the over is always fun to pick, and if you're if you're gonna be you know sprinkling something small there, might as well take the over. Who wants to not hit, take the under on a, on a national anthem bet? Now, this is one that I really really liked about about the national anthem. A word will be forgotten slash omitted, plus nine hundred. That's ridiculous odds, and it's oftentimes where you know they maybe run out of breath right before one of the words, right? And then they'll 
you know, just keep going to the next sentence in, in, in the Star Spangled Banner. Now, I, I wouldn't potentially sprinkle it because I think I've, I know Mickey Guyton, well, not personally, but I, I've heard her sing before. She's very um, articulate when, when she's uh, singing, or, and she's really good with pronunciation and, and sounding out what, what she's going to be uh, throwing out there. So I, 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 would, I would steer away from that, but that's a fun little thing to see, uh, to pay attention to when you're uh, watching the national anthem. You might regret not sprinkling a little bit on plus 900. Um, this one's funny too. I don't like the odds at all on it. Uh, a scoring drive takes less time than the national anthem. Minus 225. I don't understand why that's so heavily favored. Mm -hmm. Do you think that the, the, the Rams or the Bengals are going to put together a drive that's less than a minute and a half? Any scoring drive? You know, on it, well, do you consider scoring drive to be a field goal? Yes. I, I think you could be under that. But that's interesting, though, because if they are going to get a field goal, then you have to consider that they're going to run the ball at least one it, time. It could be, but it could be something like 40 seconds left in the first half. That's true. Rams have the ball. They need to just get into field goal territory. I that's mean, true. You know, I, I, that could always happen. A couple, well, couple 20-yard throws, and boom, all of a sudden you're in field goal range. Okay, so instead of that, then, I would actually sprinkle. This would be more of a, a game prop, but I would actually sprinkle that a score happens in the final two minutes of the first half. Inst and I think that that would be a little more favorable odds than a minus two twenty five pick. Yeah, I mean, I think the I, honestly, like I, yeah, I don't know, I don't, I don't like the odds there, but I think it could happen. Like I think it would very well happen. So now, moving over to the halftime show, right? This is a star-studded halftime show. You know, you got guys like Dr. Dre and Snoop from the West Coast, Kendrick Lamar from the West Coast, Mary J. Blige, and of course Eminem to round out the five. Now. There's a couple of there's a list of odds on who's going to perform first. Dr. Dre seems like the uh, the opener there because you know he, along with him being the favorite to perform first, California Love, the intro song to the director's cut this week is a plus 200, uh, least odds uh, as far as the first song goes. So and then obviously um, the one after that is actually the next episode by Dr. Dre. Snoop Dogg's involved as well. So. It's going to be interesting to see the halftime ordeal. Um, Mary J. Blige to perform first. I could see them getting her out of the way. But I, she's, 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 I, I hate to put it like that because she is a legend in her field. And she has such a, such a full and, and, and you know, projecting voice. and Great, great singer. Um, it would be interesting to see her. But I think this is a fun bet. Weird odds as well. I would actually take the no here. But it's... Any part of Eminem's performance to be censored, or there's another one, uh, Eminem to perform a political statement. I, I I saw that somewhere else. Wait, uh, going back to the censored one, how can how can they do that if it's live? Like, well, there is, uh, I believe, you know, as you know, as a radio guy, it's gonna be a, a second or two delayed. Now you won't. Yeah, but you can't. You, I don't. You can't like like curse out a swear word enough time on live TV. Like it's different from like radio. Like, yeah, you're right. Like when, when we're up in our in the in the studio back at uh, St. Bonaventure, you can just hit the dump button and it cuts out the last eight seconds. I mean, there's not enough time to go back and add in a little bleep or something. Or you can't have eight seconds of, of dead TV air. I mean, it, it's all live. I mean, you, you know, you see it like in post-game interviews, like like you know, an F-bomb might get dropped. I mean, I, I think I have to take uh, I have to take the no there. There's no way they're going to be able to, to well, edit it out. You'd be you'd be in luck because the no is actually a plus 135. Yes, for an Eminem performance portion to be censored minus 180 so that's the favorite right now it's really interesting to see that now one more funny one we don't want to see this happen but hey it's happened before it's possible a wardrobe malfunction yes is plus 950 no obviously a heavy favorite at minus 3300 and the only i don't even know what constitutes a wardrobe malfunction would that mean that a part of you is exposed that we don't want to see that but hey, plus 950 odds. That's that. That's pretty uh, pretty favorable if you if you're looking for some misfortune during the halftime show. Now wrapping things up, we have the last last real prop that I think uh, anybody really cares about uh, during the Super Bowl, and I think it's the Gatorade color prop. And last year during Remote Radio Row, we actually asked each of our guests which color they believed would win the Super Bowl. Gatorade color prop in the, in the bath layer after. Now, Nate, I'll, I'll list you off all the colors and their odds. Orange plus 200 at the favorite. Blue right behind at plus 300. Yellow slash green at plus 450. Clear also tied there at plus 450. Red slash pink at plus 800. And purple plus 1,000. Nate, where are you sprinkling your money if you're going to throw in the Gatorade? We're, color we're talking prize? the light blue, right? We are talking the light blue. I'm, as, I'm going to go with the light blue because I think I think light blue that that's the Gatorade color that's gotten the biggest the last year or so. 
Uh, it's my favorite Gatorade color. I'm going to go with blue, plus 300. I'm actually going to disagree with you just slightly. I, I'm actually going to go with the favorite here. I don't understand why orange is such a strong favorite. Plus 200. Because it's the Bengals. The Bengals are orange. Ah, that's true. And, that's and true. the blue is the Rams. That's true. That's true. That, 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 that makes sense as to why they're the two favorites. But I'm going I'm to stick with orange. I think it's one of the more hydrating Gatorade colors, and I think that's what they're really looking for during the game. It's not really meant to matter as far as the, the Gatorade bath goes. So I, I'm actually going to stick with the favorite of plus 200. Probably not going to sprinkle it, but that would be my choice uh, for the Gatorade color prop. And that'll do it for our little segue Solomon and Tyler Smith. We just went over a bunch of novelty props for Super Bowl 56. Stick with us for an interview with Solomon Wilcox following this short break. It's been the Director's Cut live from Super Bowl Radio Row in Los Angeles, California. Stick with us. California. Welcome back to WSBU 88.3's coverage of Super Bowl 56 Media Week, live from beautiful and sunny Los Angeles, California. Welcome back into the Director's Cut with Tyler Smith and Nathan Solomon, live from Super Bowl Radio Row in Los Angeles, California. Joining us now are two very special guests across from me, Solomon Wilcots, former Cincinnati Bengal and host of the Believe in Bengals podcast, and to his right, it is Dr. Wakas Al-Sadiq. You correct me if I'm wrong. Nope, perfect. All good? Awesome. Sounds like the plan. He is the CEO of Biotricity, and together you guys are introducing BioHeart, the most accurate heart monitor available without a prescription. Can you guys kind of talk about what, what, what the development of that's been like? Yeah, no, I can uh, talk about that. It, it was actually a little project of mine. Um, so our we're a medical device company, and our product's used by uh, 1,500 cardiologists to diagnose patients. Yes. And what we saw was really it's about prevention. And, you know, you got Apple Watches, but uh, they only collect 30 seconds of your data. So if you're trying to collect long-term data, a lot of people are asymptomatic. They don't know what's going on. Uh, they don't even feel that there are uh, issues going on. And we see it sometimes in, you know, college uh, sports events or uh, even professional sports events where people have uh, heart issues. And so we took all that technology and made a long-term monitor that basically while you're wearing it, it's constantly collecting and recording data. So that, that, that's live data, right? Right here? That's right. And it, there's an app that you can download. You have it on your phone. You can record the data, right? Store it and send it to your physician. So it re can record your heart. Um, if you're someone who's suffered from an event, if you had an irregular heartbeat, or you're just concerned and don't know what's going on, you can wear the heart monitor as I'm wearing it right now. You don't even know I'm wearing it, yeah, right? Exactly. And I can monitor right here on my, on my cell phone by just downloading the app. I can hit start record. I can record some of this data, send it into my physician. And so it's a remote biometric monitoring solution that's simply phenomenal. Um, and uh, if you want to order one, all you have to do is just go to the website, www.bioheart.com. Now, what are some of the other great features of this app that you've been talking about? So, you know, one of the things that uh, we've done, which is basically a game changer in, in the industry, um, is that when you talk about cardiac issues, most of this stuff, it happens while you're sleeping. It happens when you're doing something that you don't really uh, think about. And then you're going back to the doctor and saying, oh, I felt something funny. It was on Tuesday. And so being able to collect long-term data and see what's happening and make it comfortable enough that you can actually uh, sleep with it and wear it all, all along, that allows you to actually bring that data back and doctors can figure it out. So we've seen examples, and this is a consumer product, right? So we've seen examples where someone bought it, they were in and out of the doctor's office, three, four diagnostic tests, and nothing shows up. They wore the BioHeart for three weeks, doctor figured out what was going on. Now, Dr. Wakas, you grew up in Seattle, but local to our station, you went to school out in Rochester, went to RIT. Can I talk about how it was living in Western New York? Kind of a big change from the Pacific Northwest, right? No, no, huge, huge difference. Um, well, I'm Canadian originally uh, okay. before I moved to the state, so I, I the, the cold didn't bother me, but it is a <laughs> total total uh different environment because again you're away from the city um and uh you know for me i enjoyed it because i think it, it reminded me uh, of, of being in canada yeah getting getting back to kind of my roots and a lot of the uh you know it's a college town um upstate new york and a lot of technology a lot of um 
a defense contractor and stuff like that. So so it was a it was a very interesting experience. You definitely get that Canadian connection with a lot of the bat beer up there, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, it's not not been uh, not been very warm up there. So uh, it's definitely really nice to be out here where it's uh, really warm now. Solomon, I'll go over to you. Um, you. You played in the NFL for for several seasons. Uh, you know, you're working with CBS Sports Network. Uh, you know, kind of explain what you're what you're doing with them right now. Well, I'm not with CBS Sports Network right now. I did work for them for, what, 16 years? Oh. Um, uh, previ- uh, previous to that, had worked with ESPN. And simultaneously, while working with CBS, work at NFL Network and have gone on to work with um, Sky Sports over in the U.K. Um, and currently uh, the host of the opening drive on Sirius XM NFL Radio. You can catch that show from 7 to 10 a.m. Eastern Time, Monday through Friday. I'm hosting the Believe in Bengals podcast with Adam Pacman Jones. We've been with this Bengals football team going all the way back since before training camp. And just recently um, had an interview with Zach Taylor. So you can go back and watch that wherever you get your podcast. I'll say it must be pretty exciting. The Bengals are here, out here in L.A. for the Super Bowl. I mean, how awesome is that? Oh, it's incredible because when I left last week Friday, the entire time, the entire town was under ice. We had an ice storm, snowstorm, then another ice storm on top of the snow. And uh, when the Bengals had that pep rally on Monday night, there was enough energy to melt all the ice. That's crazy. I'm telling you right now, the town is on fire. It is hot. And uh, we have mainly Joe Burrow and a rookie kicker and a rookie wide receiver yep. to thank for that. That's crazy. Shooter McPherson. What a, what a draft Shooter pick. Shooter McPherson. What a I draft pick <laughs> in that fifth round. I mean, it, it, it goes to show that maybe taking a risk, if you could call a fifth round draft pick a risk, taking a kicker at that spot can do pay dividends if you've seen the playoffs. No one else drafted a kicker last year. Do you know yeah, McPherson no, was the only, the only kicker one. drafted um, in the 2021 draft? Um, Darren Simmons is the Bengals' special teams coordinator. He's phenomenal. He's been one of the best special teams coaches in the National Football League for years. And and Evan McPherson, listen, he kicked the game-winning field goal first game of the year against the Minnesota Vikings. Got this team off to a good start. Since entering the postseason, he's had three field, uh, excuse me, four field goals made in all three of the postseason games thus far. So he comes into Super Bowl Fifty Six. Averaging 12 points per game. Yeah. Now that's just, I don't know about you, but that, that's pretty good. It is pretty good. He's got a, a, a very much safer environment now that he's going to be playing in a dome. But, hey, it will be a true road game for these Bengals. So what do you think is the biggest challenge for this team heading in? Because you, you, you look at the two roster buildups, and it's definitely – you see that the Rams have mortgaged their future to win now and, and really filled all the gaps in, mm-hmm. in their roster. What do you think is going to be the biggest challenge for this Bengals team to overcome that? Blocking Aaron Donald, Vaughn Miller, Leonard Floyd. Yeah, I think. Okay, there's no doubt about that. I mean, that's going to be really important. You can't operate an offense if your quarterback is on his back. It's just not going to happen. So we got to find a way to slow those guys down. They're very good at getting to the quarterback. And Joe Burrow is very good at understanding when he can take a sack and when he can't take a sack, right? He's very good at if he gets hit, he's going to get back up and continue to compete. I've never seen a quarterback get sacked nine times and uh, not lose his mustard and not lose his ability to compete. He did that against the Tennessee Titans. But this pass rush for the Rams is better. They really are. I mean, it's so, step up so sure. yeah, this is the step up in competition. Listen, we'd have rather have it any other way. If you're going to win a Super Bowl championship, you should have to go through hell and back to get it. Right? Facing Aaron Donald and a former Super Bowl MVP and Vaughn Miller and Leonard Floyd and Jalen Ramsey and Eric Weddle, a veteran of the game. All right. Okay. We got our Goliath. Yep. We're ready. (laughs) So you played, you actually played safety in the NFL uh, for for a long time. And the the uh, safety group in Cincinnati with Vaughn Bell and and Jesse Bates, they're young studs. They've, They've been playing very, very well. Have have you uh, had conversations with them and, and you know, kind of connected, you know, given them some, some advice over this over these past few weeks? No, I don't. I, I know who is giving the advice because I think people need to go take a look and see why Jesse Bates is a special young man. Absolutely. He's a special player, right, um, out of Fort Wayne, Indiana, right? Yep. Um, attended the same high school as my good friend, Hall of Fame defensive back Rod Woods. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. That's right. Rod Woodson, 
um, is talking to Jesse Bates before every big game. Yeah. And that's why you see this guy's a ball hawk just like Woody was. Yeah, exactly. He comes up with the ball, intercept the ball. And I said, well, you don't need me to tell you anything. You got that guy. Not a That of guy, that other guy, Rob Woods, has got over 70 career interceptions yep. in this league. There's only like two men in the whole of human history have intercepted more passes in the 102 years of the National Football League than Rob Woods. And Rob Woods in a cornerback on the outside. He wasn't afraid to put his shoulder down to take a big hit as well. Jesse Bates Absolutely. Uh, uh, obviously going to take and, some and that, that. And that's that what Jesse Bates brings, a lot of that kind of knowledge, a lot of that forethought to his performance. Um, Rob Woodson is a mentor of his, and he's a phenomenal player, is Jesse Bates. Um, you've seen the plays that he's been able to make on oh, Tyreek Hill. On the plays he makes to jump start. Right, the game against the Tennessee Titans. Um, the guy's deserving of a new contract. He's playing for his contract, and I think he's already earned. It. Now, I, I think one of the only things that we haven't covered yet about the about the Cincinnati Bengals is their defensive line. I mean, how important is it going to be to be able to get in the backfield and put pressure on uh, on Matthew Stafford? Yeah, you know, and I love the way that um, the defensive coordinator Lou Anaromos, he's going to change whatever you get from the first half, whatever you get from him. He's going to give you something different in the second half. That's what um, Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes found out about this defense. But you're right. Trey Hendrickson it starts with him. He leads uh, the team with 14 sacks, 75 total pressures. He is relentless. The guy has a motor that does not stop. Reminiscent of a T.J. Watt. He's a poor man's. JJ and TJ Watt. I'll take that. Hey, well, hope, hopefully he can. Yeah. You know, he signed a big deal in Cincinnati, and he can. You know, he's already lived up to that. Uh, he lived up yeah. to the deal, and uh, he, he, for over the next couple of years, it's going to seem like a bargain having That's him. That's right. And Sam pass, Hubbard sure. on the other end Absolutely. is the same way. Has a wonderful mode. DJ Reader on the inside. BJ Hill came over in a trade for Billy Price just before Week One, yep. the first game of the season, and has made his presence felt. I wish we had Larry Ogunjobi in this game. I know. Because I'm going to tell you right now. Crucial loss. He's the straw that stirs the drink in the middle of that defensive line. But we've got two linebackers no one talks about, and Jermaine Pratt and Luke Wilson. Both guys are very good against the run, and they can stay on the field and pass coverage. We remember Jermaine Pratt closing out the Raiders game with the interception in the red zone yes. um, off Derek Carr. You remember Luke Wilson getting the interception off the tip by Eli Apple to close out the game against the Tennessee Titans. So we've got good play. You don't have to be great in this league. Just be good. Just be smart. Don't beat yourself. The Cincinnati Bengals are the least penalized team in the NFL. Discipline is key. God, guys, they're here for a reason. Yeah. Right? I told you, we got our Goliath. I already know who David is, too. Cincinnati Bengals, they're showing up with more than a slingshot. Absolutely. Now, I mean, Solomon, I think we know who, who you're riding with for the Super Bowl. I think you uh, But Dr. Wakaz, I mean, who are you picking? Um, well, I'm, I'm here with Solomon, so I'm, I, and I am always, uh, I, like yeah. the, I like the underdog. That's so. right. Can't divide and conquer <laughs> Can't divide. <laughs> Don't want to burn any bridges before a big game like this. Uh, guys, it was so great having you on, and, and we look forward to this game and, and, and hearing from you guys in the future. And, of course, with Biotricity and BioHeart, it's going to be a great development that you guys have going on. You, so you might want to order the heart monitor. Because if you are a Rams fan, yeah, you'll uh, need it. We, we're going to need to monitor you. Absolutely. www.bioheart.com. Rams fans, take note. Go buy BioHeart. Guys, it was awesome having you on. We look forward to, to keeping in touch, and uh, we'll see you soon. All right, Thanks. guys. Thank you. Thank you. Hey, this is Anquan Bolden, and you're listening to WSBU The Buzz. It could go And welcome back to the Director's Cut. Tyler Smith and Nathan Solomon here. We just had a great conversation with Solomon Wilcox, former Cincinnati Bengal, and Dr. Wakas Al-Sadiq, founder of Biotricity. And it was it was a great interview. They, they had a lot to talk about as far as the game went and some real health issues as well. Yeah, it was great talking about the product, um, talking to preview in the big game, uh, seeing what uh, uh, Solomon Wilcox thought about his Cincinnati Bengals team that he's covered, uh, covered for a long time, uh, played for. Uh, so, great interview. Hope we can reconnect with them in the future. Yep, action's heating up here. It's only Wednesday. We're at the hump. Got two more days of action. And following this show, may, be sure to stay tuned for the nightly buzz with Nick Roloff and Tom Sipe and the wild card with our entire crew at WSBU featuring some great interviews on both of those shows. Stick with us at WSBU 88.3 The Buzz live from Super Bowl Radio Row in Los Angeles, California.
the track, hit your eardrum like a slug to your chest Like a vest for your Jimmy in the city of sex We in that sunshine state where the bomb amps him be The state where you never find a dance floor empty and pimp speed On a mission for them greens Lean, mean, money-making machines, serving fiends I've been in the game for ten years, making rap tunes Ever since honeys was wearing sassoon Now it's 95 and they clock me and watch me diamond shining Looking like a Rob Liberace, it's all good Your city is the bomb if you're